thank you for tuning in to Digital Health Unplugged, the only podcast you need for all of your healthcare IT news. It's been a busy time for us over at Digital Health because the digital healthcare sector is booming. Things like remote care are being adopted more widely and other IT solutions are being put in place to enable people to stay at home. But obviously, the biggest story at the moment is the NHS contact tracing app that's being trialled in the Isle of Wight. This forms a big part of the government's test, track and trace response, um, but it has not been without its own controversy. So joining me on today's podcast to talk about the app and the NHS's approach are Hannah Crouch, Digital Health's editor. Hi, everyone. And John Hoeksmer, our editor-in-chief. Hi, everyone. And as always, I'm Andrea Downey, senior reporter. So as our avid listeners will know, we have discussed the contact tracing app in quite a few podcasts recently, but things are changing so rapidly that there's new things to talk about every time. In the first week of May, a trial of the app was launched on the Isle of Wight, which aims to test it out in a small population before it's rolled out further across the country. But when that rollout happens, we don't yet know. NHSX has published the code for the app and its data protection impact assessment as well, both of which have raised some concerns among experts. Privacy and data protection concerns have also been raised. Uh, We've had experts from all over the world saying that the contact tracing apps could risk public trust if they become tools for mass surveillance. And there's also a bit of confusion about how the data will be used and what's going to be kept for in the future. So there's quite a few questions that need answering there. Um, And alongside all of this are questions about why NHSX has chosen to take a completely different route to Apple and Google in contact tracing, opting for a centralised approach rather than a decentralised one. This very much leaves the UK on its own globally, as most other countries are choosing the approach that Apple and Google have decided to take. So what a time to be reporting on health tech. Hannah and John, what are your thoughts on the app and the approach that NHSX has decided to take? Um, I guess there's so much information to process with it. I mean, it's kind of, it's sort of been rolled out at scale. Um, Obviously, uh, Gould gave sort of quite a lengthy sort of discussion or lengthy, he was sort of grilled, sorry, um, about the app by the tech committee, where he kind of revealed a lot of information about, you know, the process behind it. But it just seems that there's a lot going on with it. And it's sometimes quite hard to keep up. I mean, I kind of, I'm struggling to kind of, even I think myself, you know, as a journalist, I'm struggling to kind of get my head around this whole centralised versus decentralised argument and all the concerns that are being raised. So I think at the moment, there's just so much information about the app and there's so much coverage of it. It's just hard sometimes to get your head around it. And I think my biggest concern is that the amount of coverage it's going to get is really going to hamper uh, uptake. Um, Because what was it, 60% they need for it to work? And when you compare it to some other countries... It, it seems it seems like quite an impossible task. So my, my biggest concern is that people are going to be put off from downloading it because they've read all these headlines about privacy data and, and all these you know rightful concerns that people have. And I, I, I'm just worried about that, really. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I think there seems to have been some changing and it's been hard to get information. Like, you know, speaking purely from a journalist point of view at the moment, it's been really hard to get information um, for a number of weeks on what it would look like. And then all of a sudden it was launched and it was still hard to get information. Um, And this is something that we're used to covering on a daily basis. So we're, (laughs) hesitate to call myself an expert here, but I probably know more about it than, you know, average people do. And it's just really confusing. I'm still struggling to wrap my head around their approach and everything they're doing and how it's going to be used in the future. So I can imagine that the public is a little bit nervous about a contact tracing solution like this. 
Yeah, I know what you mean, Andrew. I mean, I think, you know, my, my initial response when this came out was, um, you know, great, wants to succeed. Um, it's an important part of um, of how we kind of get out of kind of lockdown and um, move to something approaching normality. <clears throat> but as the details have kind of um, come out, um, it does feel a bit confused. Um, this this central idea about needing a national database um for various reasons which aren't always kind of clear um i think it is is the kind of real stumbling block um although it does sound like that they kind of furiously now backtracking and saying they're agnostic about approach and um they might look again at google and apple um and just you know as a as a hampshire lad originally i'm still mystified that they chose to roll it out in the isle of white which is about 20 years behind the rest of the country so why they kind of introduced it there i've no idea yeah that was an interesting choice um because i i i understand that it works well to trial something like this on an island that has you know one nhs trust so it's easy to track where people are moving to and it's easy to work out if they can decide where hotspots might be and obviously no one's sort of moving in and out of the island at the moment so in that sense it makes it does make sense but there's also the issue that i i'm not entirely sure the population of the isle of wight represents the population of the uk and there's been loads of reports that have come out that have suggested that certain communities are more at risk like the bame community in particular is suffering a huge amount more death than white people are and there's been communities like hackney is one of them where there's been significantly higher amounts of cases and deaths um and it just kind of seems like those groups aren't being represented in this trial, um, which to me seems a little bit backwards because we've been talking about the need for representation and the need for collecting decent data for so long now. And this was an opportunity to do that. And I think they've missed it, um, which is disappointing, really. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, the extraordinary measures um, are entirely kind of needed in um in response to the current kind of um, crisis, um, you know, after all, we're heading towards 35,000 people have um, died so far. But I think there is, you know, in kind of the British kind of um, psyche, a, still a strong, stubborn streak of scepticism about um, parting with large chunks of data to central government agencies for purposes um, which are, are less than entirely clear. And I think, unfortunately, the, the kind of um, contact tracing app is um, beginning to run into some of those sensitivities. I, I don't think that all of these kind of um, concerns are are justified, and I think um, some of them are irrational, considering how much um, data we, we we merely kind of hand over to Facebook et al. Um, but it's a reality that you know um, projects like Care.Data hit these types of concerns and become became unviable. It would be a terrible shame if. Um, if the um, NHS contact tracing app, um, you know, um, didn't achieve what people are hoping it will, um, because it doesn't carry public hearts and minds and convince them that their data is going to be um, maintained um, confidentially and not retained for other purposes in the future. Yeah, um, which kind of brings me on to the next point that I wanted to raise with you guys um, is whether or not they have been clear enough on privacy and data protection, because. You know, Matthew Gould did come out at the beginning of this process and say that the NHS was going to be really open and transparent about this. Um, they've also been big advocates of open source since they launched and they were always saying that they were going to develop in the open. And the code for this app wasn't 
made available until Thursday evening. So that's four days after they announced the launch. And it was just kind of dumped on GitHub. It wasn't actually, it wasn't developed with other developers in mind. So yeah, I'm wondering if they have been open and transparent enough um, to create the confidence that is needed from the public in order to download it. Yeah, this is something we actually put to our readers and we did a poll and we actually said to them, do you think the NHS is being transparent enough about the app? And overwhelmingly, it's about 74% um, said that they didn't, which I think shows that, you know, there is this, like John said, this scepticism um, surrounding such things. And, and as John said, you know, it is really sensitive data that people are handing over. And, you know, sometimes people aren't as comfortable as that. But I think just to play devil's advocate, I mean, with all this scepticism and all these concerns that probably are in people's minds already, it's quite a huge challenge for NHSX to kind of overcome that. And they are coming out and saying all the right things and doing all the right things. But there are all these kind of stories that are coming out about, you know, they may be trialing another app or or something like that. But I think it's a huge challenge for any organisation to take on and, you know, to get that trust for people to be willing to say, I'm going to hand over my data and I'm going to trust you with it. You know, it is a huge challenge for them. So I think we all recognise that NHS, ex-NHS, digital, um, health, uh, public health, England, et al, are all kind of operating under huge pressure um, and have achieved a remarkable amount. I mean, there's been a phenomenal amount of digital kind of um, progress um, that's occurred over the past couple of months. But there is something about the NHS contact tracing app that is that kind of confluence of, of concerns about privacy, technology, big state, and confidence in how people's data will be used in the future. Um, and I don't, I don't think this is kind of unique to the UK by any means. We, we've seen similar difficulties um, with take up of contact tracing apps and their effectiveness um, in other countries. Um, and it may be that this is, you know, a tool that doesn't have as big an impact as um, people are hoping it will. Yeah, I agree. I think I like I think at the end of the day everyone wants to do what they need to do in order to end lockdown and get us out of this crisis and save everyone, you know, save lives and protect the NHS at the risk of sounding like a politician. Um but I think the NHS has to do a little bit better in making it clearer on how patient data or how data collected from this app will be used because they're not they're using language that you know, we would understand because we write about it and we can research it. But I think to everyday people, they're not being very clear on how things will work. And there's already been quite a few concerns about whether or not the app adheres to UK data protection law. Um, I read a really interesting paper um, earlier this week. It's from um, a lecturer in data law at University College London. And he's, you know, pulled it apart, really, and looked at it and said that, there are concerns that it doesn't apply with the right kind of anonymity that people need um, for UK data protection law. Um, He's also raised concerns that it may breach GDPR in some cases. Um, So yeah, I think there's just, there just needs to be a bit more of a conversation about how the app will be used and what the data will be used for. Cause I don't, people don't want to be tracked um, continuing after this. Um, And I, yeah, I think there needs to be a bit more of a conversation there. Otherwise they are going to struggle to get the uptake. There is a wider point that um, extraordinary powers on data collection were kind of um, um, directed by Secretary of State um, for NHS Digital um, to collect um, data, personal identifiable data, 
um, and link it um, from multiple agencies in order to respond to the crisis of COVID-19. Now, that's not as easy to get your head around um, or to present in a story um, that, you know, that a national might be kind of um, running. Um, but that there is some massive kind of, um, um, you know, um, you know, extension of um, data collection that's happening and data linkage of personal, personal identifiable data. And I think it's imperative that that be carefully scrutinized. Um, I think so far the, the IG approach that, that this um, has characterized the early part of this um, response to this crisis has actually been very good. I think the information commissioner was incredibly helpful kind of, um, you know, um, being clear that IG should not stop um, people kind of um, sharing data to help respond to COVID-19. But some extraordinary measures um, have been put in place. And I think, you know, part of our job is to keep a close eye on them. Um, and as the crisis hopefully recedes, um, you know, make sure that um, we're covering those um, extraordinary powers um, gradually being wound down again afterwards. Yeah, another thing that I've sort of been thinking of, I think we've mentioned it before, Andrea, is how do you sort of monitor and police how people are using it? How do you stop someone downloading the app when it is rolled out and just saying, oh, I've got, I'm, I'm symptomatic when they're not? Um, and how do you stop? I don't, I hate using the word trolling because it just makes me think of an internet troll. Um, but how do you kind of stop that, that misuse of it? Because, I mean, I hope, I hope there are people out there that won't, but um, you never know really. And people might make a mistake. They might, you know, oh, I've got a few symptoms, but a lot of people are confused about the symptoms. Um, you know, there's, there was that whole thing about loss of smell and taste was one a possible symptom. Yeah. Then there was a whole issue about rashes. And I think there's a lot of confusion about uh, what symptoms people are assuming is associated with COVID and how do you stop people from uh, putting in misinformation because it's actually something that um, I was talking to someone about it and they're like well what if someone puts in the wrong information and I have to self-isolate for two weeks for no reason at all so I think that will be an interesting one to sort of look into really and it's not something that's really been sort of mentioned and I don't actually I don't even know if you can stop it really you just have to put your trust in people. Yeah I wouldn't have a clue where they would start in in monitoring that um Gould did say at the Science and Technology Committee hearings, um, he did say that their centralised approach would make it easier to detect if someone was using the app maliciously, because um, obviously the data would be being sent to the NHS database and then they could sort of pick up if someone was constantly saying they had symptoms or, but you know, maybe using the app in the wrong way. But even then, I'm not entirely clear on how that would work, because if someone puts in that they are symptomatic, and they are deemed that, you know, they could have coronavirus and should self-isolate. I don't, there's no real way of telling if um, if they're lying or not, really, especially if they only do it once. If they do it like five or six times, I think the system will probably pick up on it. But if this is a one-time thing, um, yeah. I don't really know how they'd, how they'd pick up on it, other than um, when we finally get on we're up to speed with testing. Because I know that once you've um, put your symptoms into the app and your you know your results come back you know from the medically verified advice saying that there is a potential you have COVID-19 and that you need to self-isolate um there is an option to order tests so that you can get tested and work out whether you do or don't um mm. so that's probably one way around it but you don't I don't think the testing is a mandatory thing people have to do so I don't know how they would pick up if someone's using it the wrong way which is concerning because 
there's always going to be someone that thinks that's funny. Yeah. Well, I guess you have to go back to the fact that uh, Gould, uh, Matthew Gould has said that they're constantly developing this thing. And, you know, it's not mm. the format that they initially roll out is going to change probably over the course of the next you know few months or so. So I'm guessing, you know, they're just going to have to like, like trial it, you know, just pick up on things, develop it, evolve it as, you know, things to, you know, go on and, and, and they gather more data, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, I think it will be a, a changing approach. Um, but then, as we've mentioned, this all very much relies on uptake. Um, so for those listening who um, might not be aware of the studies that have been done around uptake, the University of Oxford, who is advising the NHS on their approach to this app, um, have, com- have conducted some studies and worked out that at least 60% of the population would need to be using the app in order for it to be effective. Um, Matthew Gould and a few other experts that are working on it have also publicly said that if they don't get that, it's not a waste of time. It will still provide necessary data that will inform our response in terms of where resources need to be, um, whether certain communities are more impacted and maybe need to isolate a bit longer. Um, so it's not it's not a total waste of time, but it is also a lot of uptake. Um, to put that into perspective, in the UK, I think the latest figures show that about 60% of people use WhatsApp. Um, and I don't know a single person that doesn't message without WhatsApp. So that seems like a lot of people that are going to need to be downloading and using this app. Um, they've had issues with uptake in other countries, as you said earlier, John. Um, I know that Australia is aiming for 40% uptake. But in the first five days of the app being available, only 3.5 million people downloaded it, which is about 14% of the population. So nowhere near the numbers that they wanted. Um, and in Singapore, they only had about 20% uptake. Um, and actually, their cases of coronavirus increased after the app was um, released. I think that's because it went to that part of the world and was likely to increase anyway. But the, no one used the app like they're expecting them to use the app. Um, and initial figures in the Isle of Wight uh, so far suggest that 55,000 people have downloaded it, which is only about 38% of the population. So nowhere is nearing anywhere near 60% at the moment. So do you guys think they're going to get it? That's a good question. Um, I don't know, but, but I strongly suspect, I mean, you can't know, but I strongly suspect that the decision to go for kind of national data collection and um, analysis and processing um, and in a national database is going to severely stymie their ability to kind of hit those higher targets that they're trying to achieve. I think if you were, if you were approaching it with a blank sheet and um, saying what's going to maximize uptake, um, then going for that distributed model that Apple and Google for their own particular kind of um, um, rationale have um, have stuck to would be the way to do it. Using the Isle of Wight as that kind of first pilot, 38% is not too bad, I would say, but then it's a much smaller population. So I just think it's it's going to come down to how people feel about it. I mean, going back to the poll we've done, the majority of people when asked about concerns about it said they didn't have any concerns overall. So... I will put my faith in, in the public that they will download it, but 60%, and given that WhatsApp statistic, which is, I think, crazy, I thought everyone had WhatsApp, um, I think it's probably going to be maybe not hit 60 but I would hope to, that they would get more than sort of 40 to 50%, I would hope, at least. But that's me being incredibly optimistic. Yeah, I mean, a lot of CIOs and CSIOs that we speak to privately who, who aren't kind of, you know, people who are, you know, um, naysayers, um, 
have, have been pretty kind of um, pretty kind of skeptical both about the technology and, and whether the approach is going to work. And um, so I don't know. I hope it does, but um, but um, it's concerning. So we've talked about uptake and concerns people might have um, regarding the app, and I think one of the ones that is obviously striking quite a few headlines at the moment um, in the national press is the fact that NHSX have chosen a completely different route to Apple and Google. Um, and, I, you know, there have been times where we don't trust big tech companies. We've all seen what Facebook has been capable of, and I understand people's concerns around it. But when it comes to Apple and Google, they're the biggest tech companies in the world. And there seems to be a little bit more faith in what they're doing at the moment compared to what the government is doing. So I'm a, I'm concerned that that might actually impact uptake. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts were on the fact that NHSX has just has chosen to use a centralised approach to this rather than a decentralised approach, and which one would actually work better. So this is I think this is the main problem is that people don't necessarily have the expertise. I'm. I've been doing this field and, you know, I have some tech experience, but even I find myself struggling to get my head around. I've I've looked at the sort of infographic so many times where they do like the little arrows about where the data goes and it's really confusing. And I think that's why sometimes it, it can, it's hard to kind of get your head around what your thoughts are. But I think it's just because that they're they're doing two different things that people are sort of sitting up and saying, well, why why aren't isn't everyone doing the right thing, or sorry, why isn't everyone doing the one thing rather than, you know, why they're doing two separate things? So in terms of what's the better option, um, I don't feel like I'm expert enough to to kind of give an opinion. I can see why everything feeding back to a national database can you know raise some eyebrows, given that before this all broke out, there were these secret talks about creating a huge national sort of database um, within the NHS, which was all, you know, behind all closed doors and was very, very secretive. And I, that's where I think the concern sort of flags up and people start saying, well, why do you do that? Why do you want to feed everything back to a national database? But in terms of Apple and Google's approach, you're still collecting that data. And I guess there's still the kind of data issues there. But why they're differing is, I think, quite confusing. But they've, I mean, Matthew Gould gave, gave his, you know, his explanation for it. He said it would, you know, slow down the process if they kind of joined up with Apple and Google. But overall, at the moment, for myself, I don't feel like I can kind of give, you know, a set, this is what we should be doing. And I think this is the issue because it's, it's a pandemic that everyone's sort of fighting around the country and, you know, everyone's got their, you know, their way of fighting and responding to it. And I just think, it's never really been done before. I've never really heard of contact tracing before this. And I think that's where all the confusion sets in because there's so many different routes you can take. And, you know, everyone's route's not going to be the same. The, um, I mean, I think it's worth kind of saying that, you know, the UK is not completely alone on this. I mean, France has taken a similar um, approach, as have some other um, countries. But it, it, it really hinges on that kind of difference between Apple and Google, for, for strong commercial reasons, you, you suspect, um, um, don't want any data to be held other than on the device, whereas the UK, France um, and other countries um, want to help hold it nationally um, for various reasons. Um, and I think that's where all the, the kind of concerns come from. You know, is this the creation of a mass surveillance tool um, for, you know, um, pandemic response reasons? 
nevertheless, um, it sets a precedent. I think that that's that's the starting point for an awful lot of kind of um, data privacy um, campaigners and just concerned members of the public. Yeah, I think that's the concern, isn't it? That if you're sending it to a centralised database where your information will be kept, once this is all over and you delete the app, you've deleted it off your phone, but your data is still held somewhere. So there is still a, a risk of government tracing in the future. Um, you know, they have come out and they said they're not going to do it like that. So, you know, we'll, we'll hold them to that when it comes down to it. Um, but I think that's where a lot of concerns are being raised with um members of the public and privacy experts whereas apple and google's approach isn't holding it in a central database so after it's all over and everything's deleted there's sort of less risk that your data is going to be used to track you in the future and i think that's where people are getting worried yeah i mean there's plenty of coverage um you know that suggests that even i mean apple and google i mean it's just changes in their operating systems isn't it rather than actually an app um you know even that um wouldn't necessarily um, enable you to reach the levels of coverage um, that people kind of believe are needed. Um, so it's th- this may prove to be um, um, a a tool that looked promising, um, that um, seemed to offer a lot of potential, but ultimately, um, you know, that doesn't perhaps deliver as much in contact tracing um, as is hoped for. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just suggesting that's a possibility. Do we know when the um, NHS contact tracing app is actually goes generally live? No, I haven't seen any dates. Um, we've been chasing dates for a little while. The closest we've seen was um, when they announced that it would be mid-May. I think Matt Hancock said that at one of the press briefings. But in terms of an official date, we don't have anything. So could be tomorrow, could be the end of May. That was quite interesting at the tech committee because he was really, really pressed about, I think Matthew, this is Matthew Gould, sorry, about, I think he was pressed about five times to say when when do you think it's going to go live? And he couldn't give an official date. And I think he was saying like two weeks and then it was four weeks. And then they said, oh, well, Matt Hancock said middle of May. And he was like, oh, yes, it's middle of May. And I think there's no kind of set, um, you know, this date we go live, this time, this date we go live, this time. I think it's more of we'll sort of announce it maybe a few days before, sort of similar to what they did with the Isle of Wight pilot. Um, so I don't think there's any official date as of yet. Which seems kind of ironic, um, given that Gould has said s- several times that waiting for Apple and Google would have slowed them yeah. down and they wouldn't have been able to develop it. Yet Apple and Google are due to make their APIs for this tech available with like imminently it's going to be happening in may and then further developments will be happening down the track so realistically looking at the time frames now it wouldn't have slowed them down they could have just used it um so it's going to be interesting to see because there have been some reports that have come out that have suggested they're working on a second contact tracing app that will use apple and google's technology um one would hope that we don't have to do a backflip on the one they've already developed because that seems like a huge waste of time and money and resources that could have been, you know, better used elsewhere in the response. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see and hope that it happens soon. Yeah, and I hope it's not a kind of case of uh, too little, too late. We're sort of, we're middle of, I say we're around middle of May now. And, you know, there's no kind of sign of when it's going to be nationally rolled out. And will there, you know, will the type of time for it have passed? You know, will people, will then that sort of hamper, um, hamper uptake even more? I hope that's kind of not the case, really. Yeah, I would like to hope so. It does seem like a lot of our response to this has been 
a little bit too little too late so hopefully this is out soon and we can start the process of people downloading it and using it yeah but then I guess this is kind of seen as a tool that can help get people out so hopefully you know it may then it comes right at the right time if they know they're starting to lift the restrictions and hopefully this will be hope yeah hope that it's a way of getting people out of their homes again Yes, I'm very much looking forward to going outside. Um, Well, Hannah and John, thank you so much for joining us on Digital Health Unplugged. And to all of our listeners at home, thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iTunes and all the other uh, podcast platforms. So you can give us a follow on there. Stay safe, everyone. And we will catch you next time. Bye.